Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. You know, when we see lying in others, it seems foolish, and I wonder from God's perspective how he sees us when we use words to spin, to hide, to manipulate. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, what we're looking at is what life would look like if heaven came down and we truly lived on earth as it is in heaven. And the reality is there would be no more deceit, be no more lying, there would be no more hatred as we looked at murder, there'd be no more adultery, no more lust, no more divorce, all the stuff that kind of breaks life and is broken in life would be healed under God's presence. Because see, in the Sermon on the Mount, basically what Jesus is teaching us is what does it look like to live by the values of the kingdom? And see, the values of the kingdom are different than the values of our country, our nation, or even the values of our family. The values of the kingdom are centered around two ideas, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. And so what does it look like to love God with our words? And then... And here's kind of a challenge. What do our words say about the condition of our hearts before God? And so let's jump into this passage. It's in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 33 down to verse 37. The word of the Lord. And again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you ask us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth in evergreen as it is in heaven. So, Father, today we'd ask that the power of the Spirit, your kingdom would come in our words, in evergreen, in this room, in our families, in our marriage, in our business, in every aspect of life as It is in heaven. Father, would you give us the heart? Would you allow us to see the heart that you want for us that leads to life, peace, joy for others? And certainly as we enter into this season of Advent, which is a season of hope, help our words, Father, to bring hope to the lives of others. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, we've looked at lust, we looked at adultery, we looked at murder, and each time Jesus had this phrase, you've heard it said, and then he would quote from the Old Testament. Often he's quoting from one of the Ten Commandments. Now, when we look at do not swear an oath, that's not actually found in the Bible in one single place. Instead, it's a culmination of a couple of places where Jesus is taking different ideas from different passages and then bringing them together. But see, he's also addressing a very common practice in his day that was eroding the integrity of their nation and of relationships and of people. Because see, at the center of the kingdom of God is relationships. First, a healthy relationship with God that results in a healthy relationship with others. And nothing destroys relationships 
more than the damaging power of words. A harsh word spoken at an opportune time can cut so deeply and remain with someone for years and years and years and require healing and redemption. There is power in our words, both for good and also for brokenness. And so in this passage, what Jesus is really addressing is the impact and the power of our words. And basically the idea was in his day that your yes and no wasn't enough. The rabbis actually taught there were different levels of honesty, different levels of commitment. So if you swore by heaven, wow. I mean, you mean business. But if you swore by the earth, okay, you should keep your word, but nothing bad's gonna happen to you if you swear by your head or you swear by the earth. So there were these different levels of honesty and integrity in the culture. And Jesus is saying, for one that follows me, there cannot be levels of truthfulness in your words. Your word should always be spoken with trustworthiness. And really, in a sense, because we belong to God and God is trustworthy and our words get associated with his character. And so likewise, he is trustworthy. So this language of oath, it seems strange, but I think it is something we're familiar with. I know growing up, we'd say things, you know, you're talking to your buddies and say, listen, I swear on my mother's grave. Now, I never quite understood that because my mother was alive, but that's what's what you'd say. Or you'd say, step on a crack, you break your mother's back. That's an oath. It's saying, I'm swearing on my mother's back. If I don't keep my word, mother's going down. Uh, things are not going to be good. It, that's the idea of an oath. And we say this often, and, and even today we'll use God's name. You're telling a story and maybe somebody doesn't believe you. They're doubting the seriousness of your words. And you'll say, I, I swear by God, I swear by all things holy that what I am telling you is true. We often today will use that. And you see it in literature. You see it in movies. One of my favorite books, The Lord of the Rings, also a pretty decent movie. There's this moment in The Lord of the Rings between Gollum and Frodo. And as you know, Gollum was a character that was not to be trusted. He was treacherous and tricksy and all that kind of stuff. And he's trying to convince Frodo to believe that he can be trusted. And so he's racking his mind. He's saying, what can I swear on? What can I swear on? And he says, I swear on the precious. And if you know, the precious was the one ring of power. And Frodo, upon hearing that, he believed him. And he said, you know, the ring is treacherous. And it will hold you to your word. And that's the idea of an oath. I'm swearing not simply just by the validity of my words. I've got to find something externally, and I'm going to invoke this third party. And if I break my word, may that third party, may the ring of power, may my mother's back, or perjury in a court, when you raise your right hand and they ask you, do you swear to tell the truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. That's an oath. So oaths are common in ancient times. They're common still today. But see, beneath the oath is something more. It's the integrity, it's the integrity of our words. And in Jesus' day, there was this practice of simply invoking an object or invoking a name, or in ancient times, invoking a God to add to the seriousness of our words. And Jesus is saying, not for your words. Your words should have integrity, they should have character, they should have solvency, they should be firm. So when you look back at the Old Testament and you go to the book of Exodus, God reveals his personal name to his people, to Moses, and he says, I am Yahweh, I am the I am. 
And then not long after that, God says, hey, listen, don't swear by my name. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, what, is that, what does that mean? Now, for us today, names have, a, I think, in some ways a different meaning than names did in the past. Names carried your identity. They captured something about your life. So if you know the name Joshua, Joshua means salvation or he saves. Moses, if you know the story of Moses, he was placed in a basket and he was drawn up out of the water. Well, his name means to be drawn up out of the water because in ancient times, your, your name meant something. Now, when we chose our names for our boys, one of my concerns, and I know it's kind of silly, but I didn't want it to rhyme with anything bad. I had some bad experiences with that in the past. I knew a kid named Cooper in kindergarten, and so that stuck with me, and so we named our kids Nate, and Nate is great, and Bryce is nice. That's how shallow I am. That's just kind of, no, there's, there's a better reason why we chose their names, but the point is, names just do not have as much weight and significance. But see, when God says in Exodus chapter 20, and let's look at that real quick, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Exodus 20 verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, the word vain means empty. And this doesn't simply mean don't swear using God's name. That's not good. But really, that's not what God's concerned about. What he's concerned about is associating his name with something empty. Something without weight. To associate your words, or even can be our behavior. The way we act, the things we say how we use that which God has given. He's saying, don't associate my name with anything empty. Jesus said it this way in the New Testament, before you follow me, you need to count the cost. Because your life, it represents God's life. There's a sense in which your name and God's name come together. And when you don't keep your word, that gets associated with God and the gospel. We have to be careful what we associate with God's name, because the reality is we hold truth. We hold a gospel out that the world already doubts and disbelieves. And as a Christian, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's out in our culture, when you hold something else up as true, as gospel, and it is not, it tears down the name and the integrity of what we believe. And the reality is there's enough pushback in the world that when our words, our character, the way we live our life, it defames the name of God because we're not carrying the weight of God seriously enough. It causes people to disbelieve the God that we worship and the good news that we proclaim. God says, don't associate anything, anything empty with my name. Now, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. Here's another verse that says, pretty similar thing. You shall not swear by the name, by my name falsely, and therefore profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. So here's the idea. In ancient times, oaths, swearing was very popular. God says, listen guys, don't use my name. And so when someone gives you a law, you find a way around it. Don't swear by God's name. Okay, so we can't use his name. How about we use Heaven. I mean, that's associated with God. How about we use the temple? How about we use earth? How about we use our bodies? 
And so to get around God's command, they said, hey, let's start swearing by objects. And so if you swore by heaven, that's serious. If you swore by your head, that wasn't as serious. And it got so intricate that the rabbis had these levels of truthfulness. And so if you triple dog dared, and you know what I'm talking about, that was incredibly serious. You had to respond to a triple dog dare, but if it was just a double dog dare, it wasn't as bad, or just a dog dare. The same concept was true in Israel. I know it's kind of silly, but they had these levels. And if you spoke an oath and a promise by heaven, that was serious. And so Jesus is addressing this lack of integrity, this lack of honesty in their words. And they would actually say things like this. If you swore by the temple in Jerusalem, which is a pretty big deal, that's weighty. But listen, if you swear by the gold, now come on now, guys. If you swear by the gold in the temple, wow, that guy is serious. And so Jesus actually later on in Matthew 23, he addresses this. Matthew 23, verse 16, and says, woe to you blind guides. If anyone swears, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, hey, it's nothing, no big deal. But if someone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But now, listen, if someone swears by the gift on the altar, okay, now he is bound by his oath. Jesus says, you are blind men meaning they can't see what's in the heart. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple is swearing by it and and the one who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Jesus is saying, just stop the madness. How many contracts do we need? Let your yes be yes and your no, no. And then he says, anything less than this, it's evil. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't just looking at our behavior. He's not just examining our words. He's asking us to look at what our words say about what's dwelling in the heart. He's taking us to a deeper place. What do our words say about the God that we believe in? What do they say about us? You know, there's a a book that I've been reading called The Divine Conspiracy uh, by a guy named Dallas Willard. And in many ways, it's based on the Sermon on the Mount. And he has a section in there on swearing oaths. And this is the summary that he gives. And I found this really helpful. He said, the essence of swearing that Jesus targets is about invoking something or someone, especially God, to make your words seem more significant and weighty. The aim is to impress others with your seriousness or maybe your piety so that, here's the key, you can get what you want. It's a device of manipulation designed to override the judgment or the input of others in order to possess them for a purpose. It is manipulation, or as we say in our culture, it's spin. Jesus says it's evil. Instead of loving and honoring others with truthfulness, the intent is to get one's way by verbal manipulation of the thoughts and the choices of others. Realize you can enslave people with your words because if they believe the reality that you're painting is true, it puts them in a corner in which they become slaves. They become, in a sense, in servitude to the realities that you paint 
There's a seriousness to the content of our words. And that's why he says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, and these are strong words. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. The battle for truthfulness, see, it begins with every little yes and every little no, just as it did with lust. It began with every glance, every longing look, just as it began with murder. It begins with anger in the heart. So it does it with our truthfulness. It begins with the small things. You know, we think we'll be faithful in the big things, right? You know, when the big stuff comes, that's when I'm going to show my, my character. No, Jesus says it's in the small things. It's in our marriages. It's in, do I really tell my wife why I was late? Do I, am I honest about what I'm struggling with? Am I, am I truthful about what's going on? Am I speaking words? Do people see me as a person of integrity? Every little yes and no it determines something about the integrity of our hearts. So how do we apply this? What, what does this mean for us to live this out? Now, first of all, Jesus is not saying we can't make oaths. There are some denominations, some churches that say you can never make an oath, you can never swear, you can never make a formal promise. Well, the reason we know that's not true is because there's oaths throughout the Bible. Ruth makes an oath to Naomi in, in Ruth chapter 1. Uh, Paul makes oaths. He says, I swear by God. Peter makes an oath. God himself in Genesis 15 makes an oath. This is not about oaths being bad. It has nothing to do with that. It's about having levels of integrity and honesty with your words where you're trying to manipulate somebody to get something that you want so that you can control, you can possess, you can own them. And in the Sermon on the Mount, again, the beautiful picture is that Jesus is taking us below the surface of our words. He's looking at the content of our words and asking the question, what is influencing it? You know, one of the things that's been helpful for me is to look at these images of icebergs. And when you look at an iceberg, you know, it's glorious, it's majestic. I've never been close to one. I'd like to. Uh, on the surface, what you can see rep represents one dimension, and it may rise in this case, maybe 100 feet in the air or 20 or 30 feet. But what you see on the outside, it doesn't prepare you for what is below the surface. And when you look below the surface, you see an entirely different picture. And what Jesus is saying is what is below the surface, meaning what's in the heart. What do we love? What are we after? What's motivating us? That's going to drive your words. And so your words, and you may catch me on this, may say a lot more about your worship. It may say a lot more about your love for God than really anything else that we do. Because see, Jesus said it's from the heart that the mouth speaks. And there's nothing more simple than saying a word and yet nothing more profound in terms of what it's coming out of. And see, I think when we use our words, sometimes what's influencing us is fear. It's insecurity. It's a bad experience. It's a false identity. It's pride. That I think all of us, if we're honest, we want to be loved, don't we? We want to be accepted. But are you willing, are you willing to be honest enough to let somebody know who you really are? And maybe you've done that. Have, is it, have that experience where you're telling somebody a story and they rejected it. Maybe they laughed at what you said, or, or maybe it was a sin that you're struggling with and the shame and the guilt of that moment. It said, you know what? I'm making a vow. 
I will never do that again. And that vow becomes like a Lord in your life and fear begins to ingrain into the heart, into the mind, into the emotions, and it begins to control your life. What Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is how do we take those things that are deep into our psyche, our heart, our identity, how do we repent, meaning renounce them and invite God to take that place that fear, insecurity, pain, hardship once did. How do we invite Jesus to be enthroned as Lord over our lives? See, what's the solution? Here's the first step. I think the first solution, and it's really simple, but incredibly difficult, is just being honest with yourself. Honest with yourself in terms of what you're after, what you're pursuing, and being honest, not just with yourself, but with yourself in God's presence. Because the reality is it's just like Jake in the beginning, or Jack, what was his name? Jack, the little cupcake boy. God sees us that way. You know, so often I think, you know, I'm gonna pull this over on God. God sees through my, the exterior. He sees through the iceberg. He knows what I'm really after. And he's just sitting there saying, listen, Jack, I know you had a cupcake, but I know you want a cupcake. I know you dream about cupcakes. I know you think about them. Jason, what's really, what are you after? When you come into God's presence, are you coming to God in spirit and in truth? You know, that's what Jesus says in John 4, that what God is after is a worshiper that worships him in spirit and in truth. Now, in the beginning, I used to think truth just meant doctrinal truth. Now, we've got to approach God as he is. We can't project on God what he is not. So doctrine matters, but... He's talking about worship, which means approaching God. And if you don't approach God with honesty, you're not approaching God. If you're not expressing to God what's going on, if you're not humble, God says he opposes the proud. But he gives grace to those who are truthful, who are honest before him. And there is nothing you can say in God's presence that would shock him. Because I think the truth is, if we are not honest with God, there's no way we're going to be honest with each other. If we've not learned to be honest and transparent before God, how are we going to therefore be honest and transparent with each other? See, Proverbs chapter, uh, chapter, well, I guess it is a chapter. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them obtains mercy. Now notice, he doesn't say, if you sin, you will not prosper. Because we're all going to fall. We're, we're all going to make mistakes. It's those who are not willing to be honest, who are missing out on God's mercy. They do not prosper. You know, in the prayer God taught us to pray every single day, what does he tell us? Forgive us our debts. As he for Jason, listen, I know you're going to blow it today. That's why I built it into the prayer that I want you to, to say daily. And see, in 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 18, uh, 8 and 9, John says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess, if we're honest, God is faithful, and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God promises to respond with justice, with forgiveness, with mercy. There's one person you can always anticipate will respond positively to you when you expose your heart. 
Because see, God is the one that longs to heal and redeem. You know, there's this story in John chapter 9 that Jesus heals this man. He was born blind uh, from birth. And the Pharisees are there, and they're not happy. They're not digging what Jesus is up to. And he knows that. And there's this huge confrontation that takes place. And the reality is nobody quite like the religious can deceive themselves. Because think of the religious. They know a lot about God. They can quote chapter, verse. They give well. They serve well. On the outside, the iceberg, it looks nice. It is cleansed. It is cleaned. But he says, you're blind. You're not even blind. Because see, if you're blind, then, then that means you're not guilty. He says, no, you know what you're doing. You know what's in the heart. Here's how he describes it. As he responds to them, he said to them in John 9, 41, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now what I say to you is, now what, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. He's saying, just be honest. I know what you're after. I know what you're seeking. Just be honest and admit what's going on. The first step to cleanse our words is really not to focus on our words. It's simply to be honest in God's presence. And then second, to truly, deeply experience his love and forgiveness. To truly accept that the identity that God has given you as an adopted child is the identity that belongs to you. Hey, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, John says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How was God's love made manifest? That he sent his son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When John reflects on the life of Jesus, the word love keeps coming up over and over. And notice in that passage, he says, though that we might not just live for him. I mean, that's good enough to live for somebody. No, he wants us to live through him which means that Jesus' life becomes our life, that the Father sees us as if we were covered in the life which is called the righteousness of Jesus. The Father loves us and welcomes us, not on the basis of what we've done, but rather through the courage, through the reality that Christ has done all things. And so when we approach the Father, we approach the Father with courage, with confidence that God will receive us. But here's the challenge. We have to believe that, not just intellectually, This is where we have to worship in spirit and truth. And if we don't become vulnerable before God and allow his love to begin to address the things in our lives that we're hiding, we're just living in fear. I mean, so often, the strongest of individuals on the outside, they won't talk about anything that's going on in the inside. They won't talk about their life or their struggles. They won't talk about their hardships or their pains. In a sense, they say, hey, listen, I don't have any. No, you're human. All of us have them. All of us have hardships and lies. All of us have difficulties and insecurities. All of us have false identities that are built on shaky ground. And in verse 18, here's how we know that God's love has begun to penetrate. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. See, fear has to do with punishment, meaning the unexpected But whoever fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. See, to truly worship God is to exchange the fear, the pride, the insecurity, the false identity, and to invite perfect love to come in, which means to be fully known 
and fully loved. There's this last image I want to show you. That what if the Christian life, what if being a disciple of Jesus is really going through life and exchanging those false loves in life, those false fears, insecurities, false identity, and simply just inviting God to heal those issues within us that on the one hand, we want to pretend aren't there, but listen, you want to know if they're there, just listen to your words. Why do you need to spin? Why do you need to manipulate? Because the reality is all those words are just like a mask. And it's saying to everyone around me, I'm going to keep you at a distance. See, Jesus Christ was not willing to keep us at a distance. No, he brought us in to the point that he was willing to lay down his life for us so that in that space of mercy and grace, we can invite him into those places of intimacy and those places of brokenness and invite him to begin to heal us. And as God begins to heal us, it starts to change the way that we do our relationships with one another. But it has to start with the courage of inviting God in to search us and know our hearts. So let me pray for us. Father, as we walk through a world that certainly does not value truth in the way that you do, and I confess, Father, so often um, what drives me is acceptance, success, doing things well, and yet the well that you're after is the well of being known, not, not just incompletely, not just externally, but being known as we are fully known. And Father, I thank you that you remind us daily that you see past just our words. You see past the way we present ourselves and you desire the things of the heart. You desire who we are, that we would love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, come. And in Jesus' name, would you reveal those areas in our life that, Lord, we're holding on to fear. We're holding on to insecurity and it is not resulting and a life of love or joy or peace or goodness or faithfulness, it's resulting in brokenness, in brokenness in marriage, brokenness in pornography and in addictions, brokenness and anger. And yet, Lord, you've offered freedom and a better life. And so to ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit, would we take that first step of just simply being honest before you, confessing our sin and our brokenness, And then, Lord, allowing us to know how deep and wide and long and high is your love for us. May we be a community that reminds one another of that love. Thank you, Father, for the work that you're doing in Jesus' name.